0: is more um and when you hear the preacher say that that may get you excited because you're thinking less of a sermon is more of a sermon that's a good thing and so we'll see how it works out time wise uh, but I will uh offer you this that I hope that uh, um I've really tried to focus I have six pages of notes normally I have eight or nine so that may be good for your uh your new year's uh Sunday first Sunday of the year um here's what i want us to think about though you ever feel like life becomes just too much too much noise too much information too much stress too much chaos too much stuff too many irons in the fire too many people to please too many expectations and just too much and when life tends to feel that way when it feels like life is just too much what really happens on the inside of us is it makes us feel like that life is just not very much at all. We feel thin, uh, and I mean that in an emotional way, not in a physical way. We feel stretched thin. We feel pulled. Maybe we feel hollow. Um, Too much tends to leave us feeling as if we are not enough. And so it's good to stop every once in a while and think about this question that I want you to look at the, on the screen here with me. It's this one, that what, what could you do without in 2020 that would do you well? What's one of the, what are some things that you would think about? You know what, if I was to, to shed this, if I was to quit doing this, if I was to give this up in the year ahead, it would probably serve me well. I'd probably be happier. I would probably be, uh, um, have more time to do things that are more important. Uh, lots of things that may come to your mind as you think about what could I do without in 2020 that would do you well? And there are probably many good answers to that question. But as I thought about that question the last few weeks, um, and I, I reflected, I, I want to say a thank you for those of you who turned back in the little sheets for the, the, the survey that we did uh, back in December, just asking you for things and asking you to answer some of those questions about what's on your heart, what would you want to know about, has I ever thought about those. There were just a few things that I observed in my own life and, and from those surveys that, that I, I drew out. And for the next four weeks, I just want to think about these four things um, that if I could do without self-sufficiency selfishness, being offended, and anxiety and worry, how much better would my life be and and your life be? And today, I want us to think of the first of those. And it's our tendency towards self-sufficiency. Uh, And my particular focus is on self-sufficiency towards God, because I want you to think about this statement. This is kind of what self-sufficiency says to us. It says this, that I can and I will do it myself. Ignore that bottom part there for a second here. I I didn't make two slides. I should have done that. Um, But I want you to think about, I can and will do it myself, Now that's not a bad thing, right? If you have kids and you want them to clean up their room, pick up their toys, you want them to be self-sufficient. They don't need you to do that oftentimes for them. And so in many ways, self-sufficiency is a good and a healthy thing. There are a lot of really good and healthy things that come from a statement like, I can and I will do it myself. It is a good thing when I can care for myself. It's, it's healthy for me to provide for my needs, to manage my life, to, to maintain healthy boundaries, to, to pursue growth in many facets of my life. It's, it's good for me to say to myself, I can and I will do it myself. And we should work towards that. But that's really not the focus of what I want us to think about here today. There are also a lot of really dangerous Things wrapped up in that statement that I can and I will do it myself. There are dangerous and destructive things come from that statement, especially in the spiritual arena of your life, in your relationship with God. I'm looking at those unhealthy approaches towards life when it comes to God. When I say to God, I really don't need you today, God. I can and I will do it myself. It is that kind of thinking that gets us into all kinds of trouble. It is that kind of thinking that leads us to places where we feel cut off from God. We feel distant from God. We we end up in places where we're full of regret or shame because we looked at God's offer to walk with us, to help us, to guide us. And our response was, no, thank you. I can and I will do it myself. So who would say that? I think a lot of people would say that. I think that little phrase up there, the rebellious, that's one of the categories of people, I think, that we would all look at. And I think there's a lot of people in the world who, who many, many people in the world have taken this approach to God and to spiritual things. You don't have to look very far to find people who have taken Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way, and that's been their life mantra, right? That's been their, 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 their mojo, if that's a word. I think that's the right word. Um, I'm not trying to be hip. I should. That was One of my resolutions I should leave behind is trying to use culturally pro- appropriate terms because I usually botch them. Um, anyway um, but I can can think about 70s 50s songs whatever whatever Frank Sinatra said I did it my way Uh, and that's the attitude that oftentimes we can take about life and and we just approach spiritual things from that way I don't need God I don't want God messing with my life I am capable of deciding and leading my own life thank you I will do it myself God but So the rebellious are certainly a category that we would think, well, of course, that group of people probably think this way. But the rebellious aren't the only ones who say that to God. There's another group that probably hits a little closer to home for for the crowd that's here today. It's not just the rebellious, but it's also the religious. Um, The rebellious and the religious. When Jesus came, he dealt with a lot of people who did a lot of very spiritual and religious things, their life was consumed with religious things, in fact. That was, they were devoutly religious, and yet their attitude towards God is very much in law-keeping, very much in being better than other people because I'm more moral than you are. And so their attitude towards God oftentimes came across as, I can and I will do it myself. I don't need you to do this for me. See, many religiously engaged people say the same thing to God on a regular basis, and we may give him credit, oops, well, it's January 5th, and I, I just spilled my water when I moved my stand, so, so whoever's music is up here is now wet, so I apologize to whoever that was, um, and so if water starts running off the stand, I will clean that up later, okay, um, and so, uh, Another thing I should scratch off of 2020 is being clumsy, and so apparently I haven't stopped doing that. So many religiously engaged people um, say the same thing to God. Now, we may give him credit for getting the flame started. You know what, God, you've done a great thing. I'm glad I met you. I'm glad you've really set me on this path of, of knowing you, of walking with you, and, and yet in our daily life, in just our day-in, day-out living, we tend to live very independently from him. Um, Craig Rochelle several years ago wrote a book um, entitled The Christian Atheist Um, and and it was an interesting book and because it reminded us of this very idea that book made the case that while we may claim to believe in God we live lives that function as though we don't that we are in practice atheists that if someone was to look at my daily life, they would not necessarily recognize someone whose life is any different than anybody else's life um, who doesn't believe in God. And he made the case with with chapter titles like these uh, that you may be a Christian atheist when you believe in God but trust more in money or when you believe in God but pursue happiness at any cost or when you believe in God but still worry all the time or when you believe in God but don't think you can change. Or you won't forgive, but you don't spend time in prayer. But you aren't sure he loves you, or you're still ashamed of your past, or you don't share your faith. Those kinds of things are indications that, that yes, I may up here say, yes, I believe in God, and I, God's an important part of my mind, but in my daily life, I am practically living in a way that says, no, thank you, God, I can do this. I can handle it, and I'll do it myself, thank you. I don't need you interfering in my daily life, and my daily patterns. So in many ways, in too many ways, we can practice a spiritual self-dependence that keeps God at arm's distance from really impacting our life. And I think that is something I can do without in my life, is that, that stiff arming of God to say, God, I, I got it. I'm okay. I'm, I'm gonna, I can get this today. Um, and, I, and I would be well served, probably as you would, to get rid of that unhealthy version of self sufficiency. And so the good news is is that God invites us to a way of living that rids that from our lives. There's a metaphor in scripture that I want to look at this morning by looking at three different passages of scripture that gives you this rich, life-giving, life-changing way of relating, of knowing, of of listening, of walking with God. And I want to read you those three passages of scripture and um and I don't have a great big outline to go with them. I just like the picture of them at the beginning of our year to say, if my life could be anything more Bible-like, this is probably where it needs to start, and I know a lot of people would probably agree with that. So Psalm 1 is the first passage. Psalm 1, if you want to write them down, if you want to open up to them in your Bible, Psalm 1 is where we're going, Jeremiah 17 and John 15 is the three passages we're going to end up here, all right? So Psalm 1... Says this. Uh, It's the opening of this is the first of of 150 different songs that the that was part of the the hymn book of of Israel, Um, and this is where their worship began. When it says this Uh, again, we talked about the rebellious and the religious. I think Psalm 1 talks a little bit more about the attitude of the rebellious in verses like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And that verse kind of gives a picture of of some... Someone who'd continually draw us closer and closer in fellowship, right? Um, There's walking together. That's one level of relationship. um, But standing in the way, standing together, visiting, talking about something, or even sitting together. Sitting together in in, in Hebrew culture represented fellowship and sharing together. And and so sitting around the idea of mocking all that God says, mocking all that God says is right or true or good, uh, just that culture of rebelliousness that that all of God's ways are foolish, they are stupid, um, just mocking all that is good by God. And so, blessed is the one who doesn't get wrapped up in that rebellious spirit, but, verse 2, but, those, but whose delights... In other words, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And so there's there's this continual thinking of, hey, what does God want from me? Where is God leading me? What does God say? I want to know it. I read his word and I meditate upon it so that I might gain wisdom in it and live it out and know it and know him and, and walk with him in that word. Now I want you to listen to the description of the one who does that. And here's where the metaphor comes in. I think it's helpful for us to think about in our life. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. And that's the image, this idea of, of vegetation, of trees, of branches, that the Bible continues to use to talk about a life that is um, connected with God at a life-giving level. Not just a head knowledge of, yeah, I do religious things, But there's, when you think of a tree, a tree planted by streams of water, what does he say about it? It yields its fruits in season, and his leaf doesn't wither, and whatever they do prospers. There's just this life and vitality that comes into that life, the person who just walks with God. Now, don't read this at a superficial level thinking, well, I'll never have to worry about paying my bills and all that. That's not what this is about. This is about your soul. It's about your soul being connected to God in a way where it's being fed. It's receiving things from God that bring life and vitality and energy and wisdom to your soul. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times our souls can get very, very tired. We're so busy doing all the other stuff, we don't take time uh, to care for the soul that lives within you. But this is all about a person who, who makes time in their life, to connect with God in a way that allows them to receive from God and be fed by God and to rest in God and to be rejuvenated in God, in his word, in his life. And so that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. So no matter what's happening, as long as that stream is flowing, that tree is always going to have life in it and through it. uh, It's going to bless others. And then he gives the contrast of that in verse 4 and 5. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. So while one picture is a picture of of a tree that its leaves are always green, it's always producing fruit. The other is is the stuff that's left over after harvest, right? It's that stuff after you've combined your fields that just blows away in the wind. There's no substance to it. There's no life to it. So, he's warning us about the condition of our souls. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And so, Psalm 1 gives us this picture of a tree planted by a stream of water that it's feeding the soul of a human being. That's what God's inviting us into. And, and you see how self-sufficiency resists that? Now, God, I'm going to walk over here. I, I can do it. I can walk into the dry, weary land. I can go over here, uh, but I've got to stay connected to God. Self-sufficiency fights against that. And so we have to fight against that as well. The second passage is this one, Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning in verse 5. It says this, now, Jeremiah 17, you should go back and read it later, it's full of a lot of good things in the whole chapter, but I wish we to read four verses from it. It says, this is what the Lord says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, and and, and man could mean yourself, right? The person just trusts yourself, I got it, I don't need your life flowing into me, God, I've got this on my own, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away, self-sufficiently, away from the Lord. I don't need that, Lord. I don't need your help. So I think Psalm 1 talks a little bit more about the rebelliousness of the world. I think this one, though, if you read the context of this chapter, talks a little bit more about the religiousness of our life. It says, you know what? I know the right things to do. I can do this, God. I can be good enough by myself. And so he's warning us about trusting in the wrong thing, about a heart just leaning into myself instead of, stopping and pausing and allowing life to flow into me from God. Verse six says, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. So again, the emptiness of that, right? When you, if you ever get to the end of the year, maybe you've come through Christmas season and you're just so exhausted, you're exhausted in every way, physically, uh, spiritually, your soul is tired because it's just been go, go, go. And you get to the end of that, and that's, that's a picture of that. I, I've been, I need to stop and recharge, not just physically. I don't just need a nap. I, I need to connect with God in a way where my soul is being fed. And that's what he goes on to talk about in verse 7, that blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And so not trusting in myself or others, now I'm trusting in him. And here's the picture. Verse 8, they will be like a tree planted by the water, That sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And what a beautiful description of what life can be! It's a beautiful picture of what your life could be and can be. Right When we're connected with God at a soul level and he's feeding us, we're resting in him, we are being rejuvenated by him, we are learning, we are realizing what he wants to be in our life as he's feeding us. But it's about who we trust in, about making places in our life for him to do that. If I was to be able to say, hey, in the next year... Your fears are going to go down and and your life is always going to have a vibrancy, a vitality to it. Um, You don't have to worry about, hard things are going to come this year, but you don't have to worry about them. Again, that's this inner strength that God wants to build into our life. And then finally, the third passage is this, John 15. It changes the metaphor a little bit, but the idea is still the same. It goes from trees to grapevines in John 15. As Jesus would say this, again, in a much bigger context, but I just pick out two verses, John 15, verse 4 and 5. He says this, remain in me, remain in me. This is Jesus speaking. So remain in me, stay connected. So whereas Psalms and Jeremiah talk about us being planted by a stream, like a tree, Jesus is saying, you know who that stream is? That stream is me. It's Jesus. And he says, you've got to be remain in me, abide in me, he says, as I also will remain in you. So do you see the life-givingness of, life-givingness, life-giving nature of that relationship, right? I abide in him, he abides in me, and there's this life that we receive in doing that. No branch, and what are you and I? He is divine. He's the life-giving source. We are just a branch. And if the branch, um, no branch can bear fruit by itself, It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So again, there's that fruit out of our life, the fruit of the Spirit, maybe, the fruit of ministry, the fruit of service, the fruit of kingdom work. Verse five, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so God speaks to us. Whether our sense of... um, Our sense of self-sufficiency displays itself in rebelliousness towards God. Or our sense of self-sufficiency displays itself in in religious things. Okay, God, I'm going to be at church. I'm going to do the religious things. I've got them on my calendar. But there's really no life-giving interaction with God going on in the rest of my life. And that's what God is inviting us into. To do away with that self-sufficiency that says, I don't need that. I'll just do the religious things um, and that's where the danger, that's where the dryness of the soul comes. That's where the emptiness of the soul, the fruitlessness of life comes from. And so uh, these little pictures I have just kind of demonstrate what God's inviting us to. Now, again, the root system, I just don't think we spend enough time thinking about the root system in our life, right? We, we're busy doing all the leaves and the trees and all the stuff that everybody sees. But boy, I've got to be diligent to make time for Those roots. I've got to make sure my life is planted into something that is feeding my soul or else all kinds of unhealthy things come. Here's a picture of the grapevine that Jesus talked about. The fruit that comes, in the background is the vine and that's the branch that bears the fruit. But again, the branch is, is useless without its connection to the vine. And so God is inviting us into that. God is inviting us to have roots that are connected to him. And and I think it really starts with our attitude about resisting self-sufficiency, resisting that tendency to say, God, I don't need you today. I don't need to stop and pray. I don't need to come and dump my worries and my concerns on you. I don't need to stop and read today. I've got it today. I'm okay today, God. That is a dangerous pattern in my life and your life. And it always leads to negative, unhealthy places spiritually. And so what does that planted life look like? And here's where this has been hard for me this week. Um, It's like, what does it mean to abide? Okay, that's fine to say, yeah, I I know I should abide, but what does it mean? What does that look like in my life? And I'm going to put a question up on the screen. Um, that as we unflush or unflush, flush the rest of this out. Unpack is what I'm trying to say. Unpack and flush out the rest of this stuff. Um, it's simply this question: Are you making room for this to happen in your life? I just got to make room in my life for God in this new year. And when I do that. There are going to be times, somebody has described it, that, that when we abide with God, it means that we're quiet enough to hear God. And I don't mean that in some mystical, spooky way. I just, I'm quiet enough as I read his word. I've stopped my mind, I've stopped my life enough to be able to hear God. Here's a truth that speaks to my soul, that comforts me and helps me and gives me help in my life. It tells me who I am in you It helps me not to have to fight so much in the world because my soul is is fed. Or or maybe it's this whole idea of resting. God, I'm exhausted from the rest of the world and I need a place where I can just put down my guard and just breathe. And God offers that to us in relationship with him. Maybe it's this whole receiving thing. Maybe it's being rooted in, in strength and being fed by him on a regular basis. It's the rejuvenation that comes as God breathes into our life Maybe it's the resource that he gives us to be able to bear fruit in our life. It is receiving all that God has for us in his grace. It is welcoming him into our soul, saying, God, I'm gonna pause here for these few moments or this part of my day or this part of my year, and I'm gonna pause, and I'm going to allow you to just do work in my soul. And so are you making room for this to happen in your life? And the temptation for many of us is to be so busy so driven, so preoccupied, so entertained, so zoomed, zoomed, zoned into the wrong things or, or just other things that we just don't make room for God to do that. And so, my hope for you and for me this year would be, and I love this, I love this picture of, of a sailboat raising its sails so that it can catch the wind and move it along. I think so many of us just go through life and our sails are never opened up and we never allow the wind of of God's work, the wind of his spirit, the wind of his word just to fill us and begin to move us. And we wonder, why isn't my life with God going anywhere? Am I making room by opening up the sails of my life to allow him to move me? Am I making room for that to happen? One last illustration and we'll finish because I know less is more. I remember that title. I haven't forgotten that. Um, I I love this picture. One preacher I listened to, I think he took it from Calvin or somebody, one of those old dead guys from church history, um, that talked about the rule of life and how they built the, the whole Christian calendar, we don't do a lot about that, that here, um, and maybe we should do more of it, but just the whole idea of Advent and Lent, and then they went into a time in the summertime of rest and retreat, and so you'd have the time of focusing on Christ's coming and Christ's work in, in Lent through, through his resurrection and through his death for us, and, and there would be that focus of the calendar that yearly reminds you, this is who I am in Christ, he has come for me. He has died for me. He has risen for me. And, and then there's a time in the summer to rest. So they built their yearly calendar around that. But they also focused it down to monthly things. That monthly, there was one day out of the month that they would take to retreat, to refocus, and to recharge. Um, and you may not have a day in your month. I don't know. But there's probably some time in your month if you were calendared in and say, this is the time. This is the place. This is the, this is the way. I'm going to stop. And I'm going to turn everything off. I'm just going to be alone with God. If not for a day, at least for a few hours every month. Or maybe, and then they zoomed it down even closer to weekly, that there was a day of worship, that there was a day, that, for their example, they, they took Wednesdays and they fasted part of the day and they broke that fast with, with their family supper that night. And then they broke it down even more closely to daily. There's that daily time just alone with the Lord. I've uh, just, they blocked out some moments at the beginning of their day, and that was where they allowed their sails opening, the wind of God to begin to blow into their life and move them, and they even broke it down even farther than that, that the moments in the day, those connecting transition moments that happen in our life, all of us go from, from bed to being up, that's the worst time of day, right? It's from bed to being up, for the first time, but there's that transmi- transition period, it didn't have to be long, okay, God, I'm awake A new day is given to me. Help me to focus it. And then there's that time, often at least in my house, it goes from from breakfast and getting ready to to work. Okay, God, I'm transitioning to this thing. Help me to focus in this moment. And then there's that time, maybe you get a lunch break, that time from from work to lunch, and maybe the end of the day, from work to home again. God, The day has been busy. The day has been stressful. Let me open myself up to you just enough so you can breathe back into me so that I make the most of what's coming ahead of me. And there's that time at the end of the day from transition of of just the busyness of the day back to rest again. Um, And I love that pattern. Uh, Just their whole calendar was filled out in that picture of making room to open up your sail so that the wind of God can catch you and begin to move you in your life. And so I just want to invite you to that today. Because again, I'm as guilty as anybody of just being so self sufficient to think I don't need that today. I'm too busy for that. And I always do that to my detriment. And I just want to invite us into a year of, um, of opening the sails of our life. Say, God, here's everything going on in my life. I just need you to breathe in this moments blow into my life, lead, guide, comfort, challenge me, change me, whatever it needs to be. God, I want your, your wind to lead me and guide me in my life. And so I, I think that that prayer, uh, that happens uh, when we are intentional to make moments for God.